0: Say presents Monthly Monday Movie Muckabout, because the podcasting world needs another movie review show. I am Rick, also known as Not Jeff from Jeff and Rick Presents, and I am a movie lover. I've got this huge collection of movies, and I always thought it was really impressive. And then I went and met other people who have more impressive collections, maybe not of movies physical, but of movies they've seen. And sometimes it just puts me to shame. And yet I can still find a movie that they have not seen. And that is the case with my guest now, all the way from Canada, Ciscoide. How you doing, sir?
1: Hi, Rick. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. And uh, you're right. I have like I have a massive physical collection of movies, uh, and uh, you know, Asian movies alone are like 500. 500- Discs Ooh. probably, wow. um, but uh, but I've since I you know right now we're in a streaming era and it seems mm-hmm. easier to do it that way so I've you know I, I've lowered my costs let's say but uh, I've seen I guess if I check my Letterboxd account more than five thousand movies does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't keep track of all the movies I've seen like you do, but I am pretty sure I'm somewhere south of that number. So <laughs> it is a very impressive collection. I was enjoying going through what you had in your letterbox and just kind of getting lost for a while.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, and I review everything. So but it, it it's, it's sort of, um, it's like collecting. It, you're, you're going, well, I need yeah. to watch this so I can review it. <laughs> like I'm just like, <laughs> like in checkmarking movies putting reviews on there, little blurb (laughs) reviews that go for on my blog. Anything I watch becomes a review on my blog, Ciscoid's blog of geekery. So it's all, it all counts as research for, (laughs) for, you know, nothing
0: goes wasted. I like that concept. I sit down and I watch a movie and just from my own background, I, I, I try not to do it all the time. I try not to do that reviewing hat or that critical thinking, but I can't help it sometimes. And I really get into, you know, picking apart something or did I like this? Did I not like this? What worked? What didn't work? Was there something really amazing cinematography wise or, or action wise or dialogue? And it's like, sometimes I just want to sit down and let's watch some Die Hard. Yeah, you know? sure. No.
1: And I mean, that's part of it as well. So you have to analyze movies or look at movies for what they are and what they're supposed to be offering. So I will yeah. give higher reviews to, you know, higher ratings to B-movies that are just balls-to-the-wall insane, that kind of stuff. You know, they're not Citizen Kane, but maybe I I like them better.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I was just re-watching a movie that I'm going to be doing on this show for another person, and it was a – that's a B-movie, but I was watching it going, you know, for when this was filmed, and – the shoestring budget that they had this is some amazing cinematography this is some amazing work that they're doing and you have to appreciate that you have to kind of find the the gems in the rough as it were
1: yeah there are many reasons to love movies yes and sometimes it's it's junk it's junk food but uh, damn it's good you know <laughs> <laughs> well Let's get
0: on to talk about the movie that I'm going to give you tonight, because that's why we're here. You gave me a great list, and I was kind of surprised that there were a few movies on there that I thought that you should have seen, but you didn't. I got stuck between about three movies, got it narrowed down to two, and earlier today I decided that, yes, it's time that you watched The Blues Brothers from 1980 by John Landis, starring John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd and a whole host of other musicians, Ciscoid. Why haven't you seen this film?
1: I, I, I you know what? I had a, my my instinct was that you would pick that one. <laughs> um, I know it's big with many of my cohorts of the Fire and Water podcast network. It's just, it, it just, I don't know. I, it it was never on TV when I might have seen it. I never expressed necessarily an interest. There was a point after a certain point. I was like, you know what? I know this one is supposed to be good, but you know the the success ratio of saturday night live related films yeah it's so low yeah uh so so i, I don't know I, I, and you know what i almost watched it last year i think it was on uh, netflix or something and uh i i pressed play on it and i saw like the opening credits and then i went i'm not in the mood <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it, it was it, you know I, I have no excuse for not seeing it and i felt like yeah that that would draw your attention
0: like I said, I had a choice between this one. I think Best in Show was also in there. And I had a dark horse in there of Lady Hawk. So just to let you know that that's where my mind was going. Okay. And I may have reached out to uh, one of your cohorts, too. He didn't give me a yay or nay which way I should go, but he could see exactly why I would, was in the position that I was in between Best in Show and, and Blues Brothers. What do you know about the Blues Brothers, though, besides it being a Saturday Night Live film?
1: Mhm well I know who's in it uh where I mean the two lead actors uh the look the the dark glasses I I don't know what it's I I know it's I, now I don't remember the city where it takes place, but I know that's an important part of it. <laughs> I'll give you that one. It's Chicago. <laughs> okay, yeah. So, sh- okay, it's Chicago. Well, then, uh, I know people from Chicago s- certainly are drawn to it, and, you know, it's something special to them or anyone that's been to Chicago seems to have um, love for this film. Otherwise, you know, I, I can't tell you. There was a sequel, wasn't there? Yeah, I- but we aren't going to really get into that too much. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's what I know. So I don't know what the plot is. I don't even know what the premise is.
0: That's good. And that's kind of amazing for a 1980s film that has such such kind of a cult status. And that a lot of your friends on your network know about this movie and love this movie. So I think this is going to be kind of fun with having you watch it. And I'm, I'm very interested to see your reaction when you do watch it. But... I think we should just go ahead and give you an opportunity to go, see if you can find it on Netflix still, and everybody else gets the opportunity to listen to the trailer from 1980's The Blues Brothers.
1: You'd better get bright, pal. we got a show to do. Then we got to figure out some way to collect that gate money. Get it to the Cook County Assessor's Office as soon as they open in the morning. Joliet, Jake, and Elwood Blues. Two men with a mission. Only eleven days.
0: And don't come back
1: until you've redeemed yourselves. Our Lady of Plastic Acceleration, don't fail me now. Ah! Be- 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 it. Be- oh!
0: For me and the Lord, you got to understand it. We're on a mission from God.
1: Lots of space in this mall. I'm going
0: to yourself be free. People walking around every day playing games and days go. How are my you you gonna raise five thousand dollars in eleven days without ripping off somebody I remain celibate for you hit it Calculated. my true love will be waiting If
1: my estimations are correct, we should be very close to the Honorable Richard J. Daley Plaza. That's where they got that Picasso. Yep. You guys come in here, black suits, black hats, one carrying a briefcase?
0: Yeah, I just sent them down there.
1: Thank you. John Belushi.
0: You, how much for your wife?
1: (laughs) Dan Aykroyd. After the gig, uh, maybe we could, like, uh, hang out together. James Brown.
0: I heard the sound in my car.
1: Cab Calloway. Ray Charles. You, You know depreciation, man.
0: Carrie Fisher.
1: I must now kill you and your brother. Aretha Franklin
0: You're living with me now, and you're not going to go sliding around with your old wife and
1: friends. Henry
0: Gibson He better pray the police get to him before we do. and
1: the Blues Brothers Band Let's go, boys. The Blues Brothers Are you the police? No, ma'am. We're musicians.
0: And we are back. So before I give Siskoid an opportunity to talk about the film and find out what he thought about the Blues Brothers, I'm going to give everybody out there an opportunity to hear my lovely little synopsis of this film. Joliet Jake has been released from prison after serving three years for robbery. His brother Elwood picks him up and takes him to a meeting with the nun who runs the orphanage where they were raised. The building is being sold unless $5,000 in back taxes can be paid. After visiting a church and receiving a vision, the brothers become convinced that they are on a mission from God. This mission seems to involve the following. Uh, step one, get their band back together. Step two, piss off as many people as possible. And step three, find a venue to play and get people there. The movie also features numerous musical numbers by some of the greatest R&B singers and some amazing cameo appearances as the Blues Brothers stumble around Chicago wearing dark suits and sunglasses. Ciscoid. What was your first impression of this film? <laughs>
1: um, it was a bit long. I do admit I, I, I saw the the longer edit. Uh huh. There's like a, I don't know, maybe it's 12 minutes more according to the timestamp, something like that.
0: Yeah, I think I, I, the version I have is also that longer one as well.
1: Yeah, it's a bit long. Yeah. Uh, I feel like uh, my first impression was that I could understand how this would be a cult favorite for many people. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Especially since it was on TV all the time, and like familiarity would have bred a certain love for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially since on TV, whatever TBS or TNT or whatever channels you know are running the same movies over and over, which is again amazing. Why I, I haven't how I managed to miss it, but uh, you would get little bits and pieces. You know, you turn on the, the the channel, you'd catch it in the middle. I can understand how people would eventually build a love for it. Uh First watch, I felt it was a collection of sketches and songs. So structurally, it was long, but also there was a lot of fat to it. I could Mm -hmm. have trimmed a lot of that fat. Uh, And uh, so it, it felt a little messy. Where sometimes it's start, trying to do something, other times it's trying to do something else. Maybe it's trying to do too much and at the same time too little because this is the slimmest plot available. Uh, <laughs> you, you know, you, you know that plot. The uh, uh, let's put on a show so we can save blank. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was tired already in 1980. It's what you put onto that skeleton that makes it interesting. Mm-hmm. So great songs. Yeah, it's fun recognizing people, uh, who took part. We call them cameos, but really they're, they're bit parts. They're, you know, people who get whole scenes and whole songs. Uh, I wouldn't call them cameos necessarily. It it took a long time to charm me. I'll say that. I can see how you can, you know, you can build to that, but watching it now, this late in life or in, in history, I felt a little like it, it took its time. And uh, I liked it when it was especially absurd, <laughs> like, like the climax, you know. Yeah. You might call this, like, first first impression? Uh-huh. We, we could call this cop cars crashing into each other the movie. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yes, 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 yes. You have heard about this film for a long time. And you've got a lot of friends on your network that love this movie. Yes. So it must have built up
1: some expectation in your own mind. Yeah. The one expectation was actually a spoiler. Uh-huh. Because after we spoke, I had friends, not the network necessarily, but friends who knew I was going to do this. hmm And I told them I was going to see Blues Brothers. And their reaction was, you haven't seen Blues Brothers? <laughs> okay. So <laughs> good. All right. Good. Uh, and then And then I said, yeah, I don't even know what it's about. And somebody in the group, before I could say, well, you know, don't tell me anything more. I've got to come fresh mm-hmm. to this, said there are Nazis in it. <laughs> and I said, "I said, okay, I'll just imagine this as, you know, I'll take for, fine, don't tell me anything more. I'll just expect, and I said this jokingly, yeah. I'll just expect this to be Indiana Jones with sunglasses. And then the, that person said, that's not too far off. It's not necessarily... <laughs> Not it, that. It, it's it's
0: That's the most interesting thing, because I want to say, that is so far from the truth. But then at the same time, I'm also like, mm, yeah. is it? Is it? A little bit.
1: But it's, yeah, I, I yeah. thought it wasn't it it, it wasn't as Nazi-centric no. as that led me to believe. So no. as far as expectations, I was expecting that to be a, a bigger <laughs> plot point, And I was expecting, I, I didn't, I, I don't know. I wasn't expecting the Blues Brothers to be putting on a show. Uh-huh. At that point, because I thought, okay, it's more like an adventure. It's like the 80s often had these wild... Genre mashups, or, uh-huh. you know, it's like... You, you can name many films from that time. There were, they were supposed to be action movies and comedies, and then they had, like, supernatural... You know, like, things like The Golden Child, or... Uh, romancing the Stone. It's a bit a romancing. Of a com- Well, Romancing yeah. the Stone is uh, more like... Yeah, you know, it had a lot of stuff to it. It,
0: it was a romance comedy and, and action adventure.
1: Right. In the style of Indiana Jones a little bit, but contemporary, yeah. you know, so they did... And it goes all the way to, I don't know, you know, it's it's like Welcome to Frogtown, you know, but it's, uh, which was in the 80s. Was, I am not yeah. even sure. Uh, it's, it's, you know, there are a lot of movies like this in that era where they are mashing up things, and I usually appreciate that stuff.
0: So let me let me ask you this, then. It sounds like we got some good meat to talk about here, at least. Let's talk about some of the highs and some of the lows, because I think we're going to find a lot for both When we're talking about this film, first out of the gate, what are some of the things that eventually charmed you with this movie?
1: Well, very early, I I was charmed very early by, and this is going to sound weird because the movie isn't really about that or necessarily always like that. But I thought the visual style, there was a lot of, it's like very early on when Belushi comes out of the prison. Mm -hmm. Um, It's golden hour. That golden light in the behind him, and then that stays in that doorway as if he's coming out of. It's almost like he's coming out of a better place yeah. than what he's entering. Uh, like visual flair like that, where sometimes I felt like the, cinemat- the cinematography was too good for the rest of the film.
0: Okay, so yeah. That's
1: one. That's one early moment. Another early moment is like when the um, when you're looking at the nun at the top of the stairs, <laughs> the shadows are very strange, and you know the staircase is. It's kind of warped and that's a very odd looking scene and I love it or shot really, not even a mm-hmm. scene. The, sh- the shot is interesting. And then you go way to the end where it's now balls to the wall and we're doing things like dropping cars from airplanes, apparently, you know, for that car to be there. <laughs> All the pileups, but also, you know, the, that final moment in the uh, government office mm-hmm. where everybody's guns are trained on them. Yeah. That is a very unusual shot. So John Landis's image making in this movie sometimes is, I'll use the word indelible. It's like, okay, I'll remember those shots forever, mm-hmm. regardless of plot, regardless of anything else. Those are things that are, like, that are striking to me.
0: I would very much agree with what you're saying there, because, and going back to something you said early on, this movie is I don't care what anybody says. This movie is nothing more than a series of skits. It is a series of skits and there's a musical number and some more skits and a musical number, et cetera, mm-hmm. repeat. And it's it fits into what you just said too because within that, they've got some amazing little moments where here's this scene that's so ridiculous or so interesting and the way they shoot the scene and the way they set up and stage all the actors or the props or everything else, it's amazing. And those are the things that, that help, strike this movie and give it that little extra oomph and be more than just a Saturday Night Live movie.
1: <laughs> well, and even that, I mean, I, I did a little bit of research because i if that's not, like, John Belushi is not my era of SNL. Uh-huh. I'm too young for that. So, I never really saw him do anything, but as far as I can understand, Aykroyd and Belushi played these characters essentially as stage personas to play music yeah. on the show. It wasn't they're not sketch characters. No. You know, so there's not even a like a premise to hang anything on in that sense except the fact that they're in a band. Yeah. A blues band. So on that on that level, I thought there's a lot of great musical stuff in here. A lot of great songs. I I it's 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 like a hybrid musical because sometimes it's non-diegetic, you know, <laughs> sometimes there there's a musical number that is spontaneous and that's right out of 50s musicals. Yeah. And, um, I almost wish it was more like that more often. You know, it's like the, the real first time it happens, it's Aretha Franklin is like the, the first yeah. that is that way. Uh, because everything else, like before that, people are singing and we know they're singing and they're supposed to be singing. Mm-hmm. And Ray Charles, there's a spontaneous number, a dance number in the street and everything. So it, it, it fits that even though he's sitting at a piano and they know he's sitting at a piano. So I wish there was a little more like that. But, the music that i I did really like was stuff like I, I you wouldn't expect necessarily when you're you're thinking of the Blues Brothers, but you know everything in the um the country bunker yeah those yes. those songs I think were some of the strongest ones, for example, so I thought you know the music is fun that's that's a that's one of the good elements for sure
0: yeah i i I agree completely again the music the music is all foot tapping you get up you can dance to it you find yourself singing along with it the scenes where the music's in it are all interesting enjoyable or fun in in their own right Uh, the the entire they're at the store buying equipment and it's Ray Charles and there's a couple of little skit jokes there but him just playing on there and showing them that yeah there's still some there's still some life in this piano Aretha Franklin you better think don't leave don't don't you dare leave and go off with your hoodland friends you know uh, tying it right into the thin story that we've got here the musical numbers in this are are what you kind of are, are the nice solve between the jumping skits almost
1: yeah that's why, that's why I wish that it'd been like they'd get they'd gotten to that sooner yeah you know, you've got a long stretch with the prison, you've got a long stretch where they, you know, let's get the band back together, and then they go to that hotel, and, you know, there's just all this stuff with Carrie Fisher, which is amusing in its own right, but... It takes forever before there's music in here, uh-huh. and yeah. uh, I think that's one of the weaknesses. But we're not there yet. But it is one of the weaknesses. It takes too long to get to that point.
0: Well, I mean, we can talk about some other weaknesses too. What other weaknesses can you think about this film? We'll jump back and forth here about
1: some highs and lows. Well, that section has a lot. That's where a lot of the fat is. I, I, I feel like I couldn't care less about the uh, tracking down. I and probably the TV version cuts a lot of this stuff out. To make the two hours or probably, you know, for the mm-hmm. runtime. So I can imagine how it's much punchier and pacier on TV where people actually fell in love with it probably in the first place. You know, every tracking down the band, tracking down each member of the band, the skits in the restaurant where, you know, all of that stuff is surplus to requirements. Okay. We, we don't need a lot of that. I think, um, you know, get everybody except the, like the holdouts. You get to meet Aretha Franklin. That's where really, that's where it starts. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't dislike some of the stuff at the beginning, like, you know, the, the crappy hotel room and with the trains going by every split second. <laughs> you know, I kind of like that stuff. Uh, I, I also like how, like, one of the better things, like, there, there's not much to these characters. No. No. But one of the things that I do find enjoyable is the, you know, things are blowing up around them and they just dust themselves off and they don't even mention it. You know, they're walking out of rubble and they don't even mention it. Because they're so slick and they're so cool and they're they're so smooth, yeah, so there's that stuff is good. but then, but then we're going, you know, we're meeting people who might have heard where the band member now works. I mean, mm-hmm. we don't need that
0: right. there's the the little pieces that they're trying to create a story here, and they're trying to develop a plot. And it's not all that we're really there for. We're just there. To see them play music. And eventually some of the stuff does tie together. Uh, you know, at the very end, when you have everybody and their dog chasing after them, it, it, some of the weirder plots start to pull together a little bit more. Yes. But, but yeah, there's a lot of stuff where it's... They go to the house where the, a couple of the band members used to live. There's a funny joke in there, but it's a lot of time that you're wasting to get to one or two little jokes.
1: Yes. Wendy could have just walked into... The restaurant, or mm-hmm. where the uh, you know where the the side band is uh, is playing, you you can just Mur- walk Mur- in.
0: Murphy and the Magic Tones, <laughs> right?
1: You could just walk into the Magic Tones, and mm-hmm. you don't need that that scene where they play detective. Yeah, you know. So by the end, we've we've done with all that, and we've yeah. pulled all the threads, and we've got all these people after them. When there's action, yeah, it's a lot of cars crashing, but it's entertaining because there's so much of it. And uh, it's like really the first one is the chase in a mall. Yes, uh, which made me okay. Now I know why some of this stuff is 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 in uh, Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> 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 so, okay, um, but but really I, at that point I you know it's sometimes a movie is sort of throwing you into de- the deep end uh-huh. tonally. I'll give an example where uh, I you know uh, Moulin Rouge. Okay. People don't like Moulin Rouge if they can't get through the bit with the green fairy. So if you yeah. can't get through the first fifteen or twenty minutes, that's the deep end of the pool. And your thro- Baz Luhrmann throws you in there. And uh, if you think you're going to drown, you bail out. And like my mom loves musicals, could not get through that first part because it's so insane and crazy and fast, and it's a shock to the system. Right. If you get through that, then you're prepared for the rest. I, I felt like. The Blues Brothers were a bit like that, and the like the mall chase. I was a little bit like, "Is this what the movie's gonna be like?" <laughs> you know, is, it, it, and we haven't even had a musical yet. You know, it's uh-huh. like when it became a musical. Now, okay, now i, I kind of get the tone or the, mm-hmm. the the different genres that are playing together here. But the mall, I, I was like, I wasn't ready for it. Like I felt like oh, this is a fun action scene. But I don't see what it has to do with any. You know, is this what the movie's going to be like? I,
0: I, I could almost bet, and I think you said it at the beginning too, that you know, being your first watch, you can kind of start putting it together now. During your second watch, when that mall, that mall scene comes up, I feel like you're going to enjoy it even a bit more because you understand how just absurd absurd this movie is yes and and this just fits right into that absurdity and it, completely it, it's, agree it's the yeah. most absurd thing you really see at the beginning of the film quite possibly followed up by the jump over the over the toll bridge or the the drawbridge but <laughs> it's starting to prepare you for that and it's just so ridiculous and the conversation that they're having as a, you know it's all calm it's like a sunday drive they're just talking about the mall as they're crashing through it
1: yeah well he's just gotten come out of prison yeah it's like oh this is a new a new store, you know, yeah. th- that would be a normal thing to say. There's so much room in this mall, yes. <laughs> We've got that scene, and then of
0: course we have the entire last chunk of the movie, sixth of the movie, is one extended car chase scene. Mm-hmm. It's probably one of the more, I, there's a lot of memorable parts about this movie, but just that entire scene in and of itself where the entire world is chasing them down because they have upset everybody at this point. Did you find that to be some of the charm that you found in the film, too?
1: Yes, by that point, you know, it, it's like you're wondering why you're seeing certain things, and now they're all coming together. And obviously, they've got to have their car chase showdown with each and every villain Yep, in their lives. So that's entertaining. And then it's a little bit like the mall when they finally get to the office, uh, the government office. They're going up the elevator, they're waiting for the the office to open. You know, they're they're paying the taxes for their the orphanage. Mm-hmm. Uh all of that stuff. It, meanwhile, there is a massive action scene outside <laughs> with the army coming in who they haven't even pissed off. It's just like they call the National <laughs> Guard probably. So, because, you know, because
0: at that point in time, why not? Who cares? Well, sure. sure.
1: <laughs> there are so many car accidents. Yeah. You know, you, you you start to think these guys are public enemy number one. So, and there, and you know, there's that beat going, it's not a musical number and yet you have the beat yep. of the army and policemen going, hut, 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 you know, <laughs> doing that, that those noises. Every time you go outside, <laughs> there's that noise, that rhythm. And they're going up, they're scaling walls and it's, you know, it, it's crazy. So by that point, now you understand the tone now you understand how all these complications led them to this. And at the same time, you're still in that mode where they're really cool about it. Yeah. They know it's coming. You know, they're looking over their shoulder in in, in some scenes. Yeah. But, you know, it's they're, they're taking their time. They're, there's like that peace inside the building mm-hmm. as opposed to the frenetic chaos outside the building.
0: Whenever they're in a situation or a place that they have nothing to do but just Wait, they go into that stoic Blues Brothers mode, and it's like there's no action wasted. We don't waste action. We just are here doing this thing, and that those moments help for me personally are some of those real funny moments. Those are the moments where I enjoy the characters of the Blues Brothers, where I think, like you were saying, they are so cool. They exude this confidence that you look at them. These are two losers. They are complete losers, but they are so confident in what they're doing that it's like, yeah, it makes sense.
1: They get away with these things. Yeah. So that ending, that last sixth, as you calculate it, by that point, I mean, you have to be in. You can't be out. You know, if you've gotten to that point, you're embracing it. You're you're liking what you're you're seeing. I, I felt like the movie had a lot of was fun to watch. Mm-hmm. And my, usually what my, uh, my criticism is, or I'm more critical of the structure and uh, as a story, but I don't require that of movies. I just felt at times it's like, it was a bit clunky mechanically where, you know, you it, it doesn't have to be about plot for me, not mm. at all, but there was almost too much plot for it not to be about plot yeah
0: <laughs> the danger of being in a skit filled movie
1: yeah so and it's it's all tied together um and so you still feel like you're you know you're you're you're, you're thinking about the plot, you're thinking about how things figure in, and then sometimes when they don't pan out, mm-hmm. like most things do pan out, but you know it's like poor Twiggy who's left waiting at the motel another that's a that's like a bit part, an interesting bit part there, you know poor twiggy. That never amounts to anything, and I felt like we spent time with this. He should have picked her up, or he should have stopped by, or uh, you know, because he's, we see her, and then almost immediately they're in the car, and he's saying I have to, I have to stop somewhere, or and but that has nothing to do with it. I felt like that was a wasted moment. There are so many skits
0: in this. I want to ask you, what was your favorite skit, and what was your least favorite skit? So, what was your least favorite skit?
1: That's interesting. I don't. I'm not sure. Uh, because there are so many little bits. Again, I think like the front of the movie, when you're not used to it, that may grow on you. But first watch, I didn't care for the whole church bit. Okay. With uh, James Brown. I mean, of course, there's a number there. You've got James Brown. Yes, has a lot of energy. But all the stuff with the beam of light hitting Belushi and the call for, from God. I felt that was, I don't know, maybe the way it was staged. I just felt like, you know, we could have gotten there sooner. Do they need the call from God? At all, since the the nun already asked for it, so they're just standing there. And then there's like Belushi's doing t- some tumbling. I don't know if it's him all the way, but maybe that's like as far like a big scene. That may be one of the weakest, but probably I'd, I'd say the one I most get rid of is the restaurant scene because that's the scene where the Blues Brothers are like, okay, now they're all so gross, or maybe. Okay, on purpose, but it doesn't seem to fit the rest of the... They're not that cool there, in a way.
0: They're being cruel there. They're being cruel and mean and vicious, and it's something that they weren't really doing at the beginning of the film.
1: Yeah. Except against people
0: who are outright mean or vicious.
1: Sure, let's put some glue on the on car's brakes and stuff. But But this is supposed to be their friend. They're supposed to be convincing him. They're just obnoxious, and they're doing some strange... It felt more like, like it felt more like, like shtick you might have seen in Animal House, which was Landis's previous film and with Belushi in it. Uh, you know, it was more like that kind of, those kinds of shenanigans. I, you know, just like thinking of it now, it, it's hard to say because there's so much. Uh, that's probably the least favorite.
0: I I can agree, and I hadn't really thought about that myself before I asked you, but I would agree that that is the one that doesn't really fit in. Converse side, what is? One of your favorites, or what? What? What was the skit? Or kind of throwaway stuff that was in there that you really, really enjoyed?
1: A throwaway. I mean, I'm kind of charmed by stuff like Ackroyd going to his job to quit his job. Okay, I, it's a very small thing. The job seems ridiculously routine. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know what. I don't even know what they're doing.
0: <laughs> they're they're supposed to be staring at uh, aerosol spray glue cans that come off of a of the okay. Line. That's it. That's yeah. what it is.
1: Yeah, yeah, because it ties in later. So it's just. I, I will say that that is actually
0: a scene when I was rewatching it on my copy, which is also extended. That scene came up and I had to pause for a second because I was like, "This doesn't seem as familiar to me." That is one of the scenes that they that's not part of the original cut. And it's probably not one that was originally shown on TV.
1: Yeah, it's probably extended. It makes sense yeah. because it's such a small. You don't need. You don't need it. But as far as things that you don't need, uh, it's. Uh, I like it because it's so understated. Yes. I, I like the sort of absurdity of it, where he's still wearing his hat and he's still you know, he's still a blues brother, even mm-hmm. though the job seems to be just on a on, on the line. Basically,
0: he steals a can, which comes in handy later.
1: Right, and then every, everything starts to fall apart on the chain thing, but the the other worker doesn't seem to care. <laughs> and, you know, the boss is going like, um, you know, well, good luck. You know, it's like, well, yeah. he thinks he's going to become a priest. And <laughs> so that's that little moment you're asking the question. And so it comes to me, even yeah. though I know it's like, it's a very small thing. But I think uh, as far as little throwaway skits, mm-hmm. that's the kind of humor that I, that I liked from the big, you know, early on.
0: I want to ask about one other character because we mentioned her and and I think she's she's an interesting character and she's all the way through the movie and that's Carrie Fisher's character mm-hmm. and that entire plot. Yeah. What did you think of that as it started to unfold for you?
1: I think, well, that's an early indication that it's not just the cops. You know, obviously, they outraged the cops mm-hmm. even before this. Uh, and, uh, of course, the cops after them and, obviously, they've been in trouble before. You know, it's clear. But... Uh Carrie Fisher her character is there to to show that they've always been these bastards. <laughs> you know, they've always <laughs> angered people. Yeah. And yet at the end we see that they also have like this way of this charm. They can diffuse those, those situations. You know, she eventually forgives them, but she spends most of the movie, you know, trying to dis- like blow up their home and and that they always walk away. But but she's using bazookas and it's uh, it's outrageous. Yeah. And I always like to see Carrie Fisher in anything. That's, yeah. Let's say that. I also feel like in both her case and Aretha Franklin's, the weakness there is that they are diffused at the end. I I feel like that's not giving them their proper due. So suddenly Carrie Fisher is, Oh, you know, Oh, Jake, you know, and then he just (laughs) drops her in the mud or in the sewer and, you know, and and walks away. yeah, Yeah. And they run off. So it's like, well, she's, mis- she's mistreated in this, you know, and uh, her power is diffused.
0: This film does not pass any Bechtel test in any regard at all. Mm-hmm, it, no, it's, it's 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 not about that. Um, they treat pretty much everybody badly, with the exception of Cab Calloway's character. I, I think that's the only person that they treat with any kind of real respect. And I and other than that, they use people. Mm-hmm. Right, left, right, and center.
1: With Aretha Franklin, I felt like okay, she has this whole big number, and a, and it's like normally in a in a musical that uh, such a number would have changed minds, would have had yeah. an impact on the characters, and that's the whole point of singing in musicals. Yeah, is to to show your true self and what you're thinking, what you're feeling, and then it it should move emotionally, move the plot somewhere. Uh, in this case, it's like it has no effect. No. Uh, and uh, I felt like, well, you don't disrespect Aretha Franklin that way, no, no, no. <laughs> if you will, not just because of her, <laughs> of her other songs, but you know, so she, I mean, she's singing freedom, and it, it, you know, it's a great performance from her. I like her that, in this movie.
0: It just leads to the joke of him saying, "Well, that's nice and all, but I'm leaving." Yeah. (laughs) If nothing else, if nothing else, it makes him leave faster.
1: And it has to happen, obviously. The band has to get back together, so there's no real way out of it. It's a little bit like, well, this is the plot, and then we have to, which R&B stars can we get? Yeah. And having gotten them, what songs are they going to sing? And why are they singing? And uh, in that case, it's like, it's not going to affect the plot. We just need a song from James Brown, we need a song from Aretha Franklin, we need a song from Ray Charles, you know, we need the Cab Calloway song at the end, which is like a great bit.
0: Oh, fantastic bit.
1: It, it doesn't really necessarily change anyone's minds. or It's not used as the way musicals actually use songs mm-hmm. in their structure. No. So even when it is non-diegetic like that way, the, the, that, that one, it is still a stage musical where the artists are going to sing on stage. And that's where you're going to get most of your music.
0: I want to go ahead and hit that uh, giant old elephant in the room that you started off talking about, that spoiler that you were given. Let's talk
1: about the Illinois Nazis. <laughs> we, yes. I <I'd> heard <laughs> Illinois Nazis, is a, that that's a joke I've heard. Yes. Well, I didn't know going in. I didn't remember anything going in. When I heard it, I said, okay, yes, that's where that joke comes from, mm-hmm. Illinois Nazis. Now Nazis are not just... You know, not just in Illinois. So not just in <laughs> Illinois
0: anymore. <laughs> no,
1: but yeah. I mean, I don't think that's like aged badly or anything. No, not na- I- like a Nazi party. Comic Nazis mm-hmm. are still around. Yeah, we're still getting comic Nazis today, even though real Nazis are like a, a real existential threat. Comic Nazis were there were comic Nazis when in World War Two. You know, it's yeah. it's always been a trope to deflate fascists and racists, and you know.
0: And I think that that, this film does a great job with it. They're seen, when they first are introduced, they're seen as a nuisance. The Blues Brothers take them out, you know, just by making them jump off the bridge. And then every other time you see them, you see that they are completely ineffectual. And they are just a joke, an absolute joke. They get a punchline send off as well, too, as the car is dropping from the sky, sky, you know, the the never ending dropping car, Um, you know, and the the second turns around to uh, Henry Gibson's character and says, I've always loved you. And and just a look of like, are you kidding me? (laughs) We're dying this way. And I this is the last line I'm going to hear. I think that that this is one thing. It's like you kind of say, "There's Nazis in this film. Oh dear, this could be bad." No, the Nazis are never given any quarter at all.
1: No, no, and I mean, and they are the like they are considered to be the most evil in the group. Like everybody gets their cars trashed, but mm-hmm. they're the ones that possibly die. You know, they're, <laughs> oh, they're in God a situation I... <laughs> where that's not going to go well uh, no. <laughs> among those villains. I mean, John Candy shows up as the head of the police Mm -hmm. who still wants to listen to the show, to watch the show. So I like that, uh, where he's, uh, well, you know, they're not going anywhere.
0: Yeah, he sits down at the table. And apparently I read read something, a little trivia, that his line there about asking uh, Orange Whip, Orange Whip, Orange Whip, Mm -hmm. that entire scene, that was all an ad lib that he did. And they're like, yeah, we're keeping that in. That's funny because it it fit so perfectly exactly with, you know, hey, we're going to watch the show. Um, since we're watching the show, I'll do an orange whip. Go get me an orange whip.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's avoiding a riot because that, that public was already, the show was already late. And Among the vill- Charles Napier is in this mm-hmm. as the good old boy. Yeah. The leader of the golden, good old boys uh, who uh, <laughs> I can't believe thought he might play his set when, you know, when he came in, it was after Last Call, so whatever. Uh, I'm kind of disappointed that, this is a the Trekkie in me, but I'm sort of disappointed that he didn't get to sing, actually, because Trekkies will, might remember Charles Napier as Adam in The Way of Eden, so the the episode with the space hippies, (laughs) and he got to sing a number, a couple songs in Eden, so he got to get that, and uh, that's one of my favorite like campy Star Trek episodes, and so I, I kind of wish that he'd gotten a chance to sing, even though, obviously, it's not the same genre.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, seeing my old space hippie still swinging. <laughs> I really like that. There's a
0: lot of little weird, strange guest stars in this film. Uh, Paul Rubens, he's in the restaurant scene. He's the waiter. Mm-hmm. Uh, while I was watching it, I, I forgot that he was in there as a waiter, and he comes on as like, that was that was Pee-Wee Herman. Oh my god, that was Pee Wee Herman. Frank Oz was a correction officer at the beginning who yes. was giving the, the things over. Steven Spielberg was the Cook County assessor. I mean, it's just ridiculous the type, you know, just the little drop-ins that you had in this film.
1: Yes. So you had like the people that you recognize and that they got like credits. Like I like that curtain call at the end. It doesn't show all these people, right. but most. And the curtain call is fun because yeah. We're in the middle of a musical number. They're singing Jailhouse Rock in the jail. They, they've all wound up in jail.
0: Because, yes.
1: <laughs> well, just the system works, I guess. And uh, and then we cut to the, the curtain call, and we're seeing e- each of these guests also singing Jailhouse Rock or a piece mm-hmm. of it. So they had to shoot all of these little bits, sort of as a, uh, OK, before we wrap, can you just sing a bit of Jailhouse Rock?
0: And then and then the very last shot, having the crew singing the Jailhouse Everybody,
1: rock. You see Landis sitting there.
0: Which is like, that's a nice thing. That's, that you don't see enough of in films. To me, cool.
1: that, the, the, I mean, the whole movie is sort of arch and you're, you're thinking, well, the, the, you know, this, is, this isn't really serious. There are things that happen that can't possibly happen. So there's like a realism and then there's the, the mu- musical realism and then there's stuff like a car flipping, <laughs> doing a, a backflip, <laughs> a really long backflip. And you're just going, what just happened? You know, you know, the nun floating and, you know, stuff like that.
0: Part of the DNA of this film is Wile E. Coyote. It's Looney Tune cartoons. I mean, it it just is. You have Carrie Fisher shooting bazookas and and flamethrowers and and you know uh, there's propane tanks exploding and shooting telephone booths up in the air and you know the Blues Brothers are just walking away from this damage. It's Looney Tunes cartoons,
1: and I feel like having the crew at the end also singing and being part of the film. Yeah. That's sort of a, this wasn't serious, guys. You know, this is an acknowledgement that just enjoy yourself and don't sweat the details and, you know. Yeah. It's the uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000 (laughs) <laughs> ethos, you know, if if you're thinking about the continuity or the the logic, you're you're, you're doing, doing it wrong. wrong.
0: As we're wrapping up here, I'm going to give you another chance. Is there anything that we've missed? Any other big happy point you want to end on, or something that you just are really walking away from this film with?
1: Well, we did talk about my first impressions, but my and and, and I did say I, you know, in the first part that I'd started watching it once not too long ago, and I. Really, I don't think I left the jail. I don't think I saw Belushi's face. I didn't really, didn't get that far. To me, the, like, the first shot I was watching it is like, I know it predates it, but that first shot is also like Blade Runner's first shot. If you, it's just like the, 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 the refineries and, and that's, that's kind of with the, the fire blowing up like these chimneys. It's how Blade Runner starts. And I was going like, you know, am I watching the right thing? <laughs> was my first thought. But no, I think we've really covered everything I can remember, really. You know, after first watch, it's sometimes you're... It's like, maybe I've forgotten st- stuff. I, I actually cycled through the movie once more, just quickly to put down, like, like to break down the scenes so that I wouldn't, re- like, forget a chunk of it, which could have happened. I don't know. But yeah, I felt like, you know, this was fun, but... As As a film flawed as an as an entertainment fun as a film flawed
0: well, then uh, that leads us right into the big question of the night. How many full bags of popcorn would you give this? Remember here, we don't do halvesies; it's one to five, five being the best. What is your answer, Ciscoid
1: at the risk of angering some of my fellow uh fire and water people, I am gonna give it three bags of popcorn out of five, okay. Which is respectable. It's
0: Respectable. It's it's right there, middle of the road. I, I can I can completely see it. I can completely see it on, on a big cult classic status and just you know popcorn kind of film. It, it could be pushing up against that five for me. This is still a really enjoyable watch. I've got fond memories. I've seen it multiple times as well. So for me, it's a good solid four. But I do not dismissed your three at all i can completely see it especially how you explained it first time through you had more enjoyment by the end of the film i think that maybe on multiple viewings and we had another guest that said this one time one time about uh, young frankenstein he had one rating that he gave it for the first time through but he said i think the more i see this film the more i would
1: enjoy it i I agree i agree with that i would say three bags of popcorn but i reserve the right to go get a, a fourth bag
0: yeah, I can I can if definitely I get hungry. See, I can definitely yeah. see that. I'm glad, I, I, and it sounds like at least, even though it was a three, it sounds like you had fun with it too.
1: Well, sure. And, um, you know, it's, I, I was worried at first, I admit. Like, at the beginning, I'm saying, oh, what am I going to tell Rick? <laughs> you know? <laughs> what if I don't enjoy this, you know? Uh, and you know what? It's one of the reasons I hadn't seen it yet, I think. Uh-huh. I at, at some point, I was like, well, I review everything I watch. Mm-hmm. So all of these fans of it are going to, read my review eventually especially my friends and I, I just i don't know it's like i don't want to go there it's like, but now it's too late <laughs> I'm, I'm on record i'm
0: throwing you under the bus man i'm throwing you under the bus
1: it happens
0: all right i would like to give you an opportunity to tell people where they can find you on these wonderful internets
1: yes if they like reading which is possible still i do still write at least one article a day at cisco's blog of geekery so pop culture stuff comics movies Role playing games, whatever. If they like listening to podcasts, which is entirely possible since they're listening to this, I uh, have, uh, I usually have a podcast out every Tuesday at the Fire and Water Podcast Network. So these might be insane comedies about comic books like Ohatmu or not, or they might be index shows like, like Zero Hour Strikes, or they might be about other things in comics, like Give Me That Star Trek, uh, I have a number of shows, and some of them kind of rotate, and I hope people want to discover them.
0: I would highly, highly encourage people to, to listen to his shows, because Cisco knows what he's talking about. He's got some great friends and great guests that he has on his shows to talk about all these lovely, lovely geek things. As far as myself, you can find me on Twitter at M Muckabout or on my other podcast, Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, which I host with my co-host, Jeff, who has the most questionable items in his pockets at all times. Do not search in there, folks. You will not be happy. If you would like to be on this show, please feel free to contact me. You can reach me at Jeff and all one word at gmail.com. Big thank you to the long box crusade network for letting me use the attic of their headquarters and also to their sponsor Omaha bound, who is on a one year hiatus right now for all their binding, but they will be back soon. Keep checking. And they do have some pretty cool stuff on their website. Also, Thank you very much to the Longbox Crusade members who help support this network. If you would like to support it, please head on over to Patreon and search for The Longbox Crusade. That's all the time we have for this week. Please grab some popcorn, pull up a seat. We will be back next week with another episode. The music for this episode is Fall Back by musical genius Joe November. Check out his SoundCloud at JoeCeflin99. That's J-O-S-E. F-L-I-N-9-9.